Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, I have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker today. Uh, He is a brand new friend of mine, but a longtime friend, actually, of Mosaic. And uh, Mike Andrews and his wife, Diane, are here today. Yeah, you can give them a hand. Now, if you've been part of uh, this church family more than probably four or five years, you probably know... Uh, Mike and Diane. Mike served as the lead pastor of Bellevue Community Church for about 15 years, from 99 to 2015 or so. And at that point, The Rock merged with Bellevue. And then uh, from there, he was our discipleship and counseling pastor. And then about four or five years ago or so, he and his wife Diane, they moved up to Wolf Point, Montana, and he's going to tell you a little bit more about that, where they now serve at a church there, uh, serve a very underserved community, um, just right in the heart of of the Native American um, lands there. And so he's going to tell you more about that. But anyways, as Mike comes up, I want to, I want you to know that Mosaic exists today, as you know it, in large part because of the ministry and the work that Mike and Diane did here all those years ago. This place, yeah, that, and so in many ways, uh, Mike, we stand on your shoulders and uh, we are here because of you and the work that you allowed God to do through you and your leadership and you you too, Diane. So uh, give him another hand. We're so grateful to have Mike here today. Thanks, Mike. Kirk, thank you. I, <clears throat> I appreciate that very much. You know, the other thing I would say is that, uh, man, long before I hit Bellevue Community Church, um, there were an incredibly faithful group of folks that were already there um, striving to make an impact for the kingdom. Um, and, and so it's like, you know, only Jesus is the foundation. We're all, every, everyone else of us, we're all standing on his shoulders. And, and so were they. And I had the privilege to come in and stand on their shoulders. And so again, you know, big shout out to Bellevue Community Church as well as the, the Rock, which is now Mosaic. Um, Gosh, um, for all of the reasons that Kirk talked about, um, um, this this land um, and you will um, you'll always be our home. Um, we we love you, and so it is an incredible privilege for us to be here uh, to be with you. But now God has in His. <laughs> um, his grace and his mercy. He's given us a home uh, away from home. It is in the community of Wolf Point. Um, If you were to look at a map of Montana, Montana is the fourth biggest state, excuse me, in the United States. If you were to look on a map, you would be hard pressed to find Wolf Point. But if you look up in the 
far northeast corner, you know, it's about that far away from Canada, and it's about that far away from North Dakota, you'll see the little community of Wolf Point. It sets right uh, in the middle of the Fort Peck um, Indian Reservation. It's home to two tribes, the Assiniboine and a branch of the Sioux um, Native Americans and um, and it's, uh, in many ways, it's a hard place to be. It's kind of a study in contrast. On, on the one hand, um, we have lots of just dear, salt-of-the-earth kinds of people. We have some, you know, some really uh, wealthy ranchers and farmers there. And then we have the rest of the community, which is just... Um, hard. It's really hard. Um, you guys sent us um, <laughs> a group of angels, uh, really, last week. We call them a, a short-term mission team, but they were, they were such a blessing to us. I think we're going to have some pictures uh, up on the board uh, of, of them and some of the things that we did. But, but really, there were kind of two parts to the short-term mission. One was community service. These people painted an old ramshackle building that serves as a, um, a, a daycare. It's owned and operated by one of the dearest hardest working women I have ever met in my life. She's also <clears throat> kind of our church's children's director, um, if you will. Uh, in addition to that, they uh, did a ton of cleanup around our little public library. Um, Abby Blaskovich, that I think everybody knows, um, did, a, did a reading for, I don't know, 12, 15 kids as well as their moms and dads. In our library, we gave them each a copy of Abby's book, um, gave them each a sack lunch, and then, and then the group <coughs> took about 125, 150 sack lunches that we had made and drove around the community handing them out. If you go to, you know, if you spend any time at all in Wolf Point, you'll see groups of people kind of loitering or kind of hanging out in different places, and they got to stop and <clears throat> give them a badly needed meal and pray for them. Um, and that was a great, a great thing. The other thing they did was, is um, we live in a home that's owned by the church. And, and by the way, we love it. We, we love it. It's a nice house, but there are, some, there are some things that need to get done. And one of those things was new mini blinds and some doorknobs. Um, and the team graciously worked at hanging new mini blinds. Now, you know, somebody might be going, okay, why don't you just do that, Mike? And my answer is kind of embarrassing, but like, I don't know how. <laughs> and I don't even want to learn how. My wife, my wife will tell you Mike preaches and that's about all he does. <laughs> so anyway, so they very graciously and expertly did that for us. And, um, and, and it, <laughs> it was just a great time. And then of course, the other part of the, the deal was our vacation Bible adventure. We had about 85 kids. Most of those or, or at least a significant majority were Native American children that come from... Um, <laughs> Lots of um, heartbreaking situations. Lots of homes that are profoundly broken. Um, 
most of the time they're not being raised by mom and dad. They're being raised by an auntie or an uncle or a grandmother. And they're doing the best they can to keep a roof over these kids' heads and to give them something to eat. But it's, it's just hard. It's really hard. There's no discipline. There's no boundaries. And boy, our team got just an eyeful uh, in a number of different ways and an earful. And yet I'm just going to tell you, man, your folks did an amazing job for us. It, it really was a blessing for us. Grand Slam home run, I hope it was um, equally a good experience for them. I, I, I think it was. We, we did some evaluation and we got some feedback and we're trying to make it better next year. But um, um, we're hoping they'll come back. As a matter of fact, you know, um, you guys may not like this very much, but they've all decided to move to Wolf Point um, and minister with us on the Fort Peck Indian Reservation. So I just hope you're okay with losing about 12, 13 families. I'm just kidding you. We do hope that they're going to come back, or at least that some of them will come back and that we could develop a, a bit of a longer-term relationship um, with that crew. So again, thank you for sending them, those of you who came. Thank you so much. I see a few of you here. Thank you for coming in. Truly, you really, you really were like a group of angels. So um, let me ask you to bow your heads and your hearts, and let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for this morning. Thank you just for the blessing that this trip has been to my wife and I, not the least of which is the opportunity that we have to, to be here and to share God's word with this precious group of believers, Mosaic Church. Um, Thank you, God. I pray that would, yeah, Lord, would you just have your way with us this morning? Have your way with our minds. Have your way with our hearts, Lord. We don't want to just be hearers of your word. We want to be doers of your word, as James tells us in his letter. And so, God, we just, um, gosh, we trust in your word. We trust in you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before I forget, gosh, would you, uh, Ben and I, I, maybe you guys are backstage. I don't, I don't even know how to look at you. <laughs> but Ben and, uh, and the rest, I don't know all of you, but what a great worship team you all have. Give them a hand, man. Um, Oh, goodness, man, that, that the whole worship thing has been has been just a, like a cool drink of water, I think, for uh, for Diane and I, and we appreciate that. I'm going to tell you one other thing, because uh, I forgot to say it last service. I brought a book with me. It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, and it's all about what we're talking about this morning, which is lament. Uh, not only is it one of the best books I've ever read, but it's certainly the best book out there on the subject of what I'm calling lament. This is an extra copy. I want to give it um, to somebody. And so I'm guessing that there's somebody here and you're right in the middle of it. You are right in the middle of it. Something that's um, painful. Something that's making you afraid. Um, and this book will help. And so first come, first serve. If you want this copy of it, um, 
come and see me after this service is over and I will gladly, I'll gladly give it to you. I'm just trusting that, um, that God will get it into somebody's hands that need it. Um, all right. In the summer of 1989, my wife and I were working at a camp near San Diego, California. It was a, a Young Life camp. I was on staff with Young Life for 10 years or so. We were spending the month there, and while we were there, we served with a man whose father was murdered. Um, his father was a pastor in the Boston area, and one Sunday morning, they were coming out of church, this guy, that I was working with was there. He was um, a younger boy at the time. They got into their car and a man came up to their car um, with a gun, put it next to his father's head and he demanded money. Um, when his father pulled out his wallet and showed him that his wallet was empty, the man flew into a rage, shot his father in the head, killing him instantly and I can't even imagine the trauma of being there and, and witnessing something like that. But my point is that life can be agonizing and there are times I think when we wanna scream out at God because of our sense of outrage and pain and injustice and whether we verbally ask God the questions or not, we are left wondering things like, where are you, God? Why did this happen? And when will you answer my prayers? Have you ever asked God questions like that? I have. And one of the things that I love about the Psalms is just that they are so very honest about the fact that life is tough. Look, if the first great assertion of the Psalms is that God is good, the second great assertion is that life is tough and don't we know it? And so this morning we are continuing our series uh, on the Psalms and today brings us to Psalm 13. Um, you've probably learned that within the 150 or so examples of the Psalms, there are a number of different kinds of Psalms, including what we call lament psalms, like Psalm 13. So I want to ask you to grab your Bibles, or we have some in, the, in all the seatbacks, grab one of those, pull it up on your phone. I, I want you, if at all possible, to have God's Word in your hands so that you can look at it as we're, as we're working through this psalm together. Now, um, the word lament basically means to cry out in pain and complaint. Um, lament is how we pray in our pain. Um, it might interest you to know that laments are, are quite common in the Bible. Um, as a matter of fact, there is an entire book, the book of Lamentations, that is devoted to lament. Um, and, and really that shouldn't come as any surprise to us because things like pain and fear, um, confusion, a sense of loss, those things are universal in scope, right? If you haven't experienced those kinds of things, you will experience them. 
for you uh, this morning. I, I don't know what it is, but you know what? It might be something like the death of a family member, uh, an abusive situation, a divorce, a struggle with terminal illness, by the way, been there, done that. I'm still doing that. Um, might be the inability to have children, the shattering of a lifelong dream, or, or, or even sort of a crushing depression. But there are other kinds of losses. And while they might not be as traumatic as those ones I just mentioned, or the one I mentioned at the beginning of the service, they are equally important to lament. Things like the loss of youth and the loss of health. Um, the loss of youth and the loss of health. <laughs> one, of, uh, one of your camera people earlier when I was back in the back room back there, uh, she said something to me like, hey, why don't you do a backflip and I'll take a picture of that. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going, listen, if I get down on the floor, I'm not even gonna be able to get up let alone be able to do a backflip, but it's, it's, it's kind of hard getting old. Um, or the, disappear, the disappointment that you feel with marriage sometimes, the, the loneliness that goes with that, career dreams that have evaporated, or, or having to stand back and watch as children that you love make destructive decisions. Big or small, we all face pain, confusion, loss, and, and, and I want you to hear me on this. From a spiritual and an emotional standpoint, it is critical for us to grieve and to lament in healthy ways. Why is that? It's because when um, these kinds of pains and losses, when they get denied, or when they get stuffed or when they get minimized, they tend to, they kind of just sit in our hearts and our spirits like a, like a pile of sour grapes. And from there they ferment and they engender things like bitterness and hate. And I'm, I'm telling you, they keep us from interacting freely and lovingly with our God and with the people that are around us. There's a, an author, teacher by the name of Dallas Willard. Some of you might be um, familiar with him. He's one of the most spiritually insightful um, guys I've ever read, would highly recommend his stuff. And, and he says this about the Psalms. He says, if you bury yourself in the Psalms, you emerge knowing God and understanding life. Well, who doesn't want that? You emerge, if you bury yourself in the Psalms, I hope that's what you've been doing the last several weeks and, and, and continuing on for a while. If you bury yourself in the Psalms, you emerge knowing God and understanding in life. Well, Psalm 13 helps us to understand that spiritually and emotionally healthy people engage in what I'm calling healthy lament. And Psalm 13 models for us what that looks like. So I want you to follow along. I'm going to read in Psalm 13, starting at verse 1. Here's what, here's what David says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Now, um, approximately 49% of the Psalms are written by King David. David is the author of Psalm 13. And I want you to keep in mind that, that David, if you know his story, he's no stranger to loss or pain. David, David's not speaking from the sidelines. Um, when he writes Psalm 13, it's not theoretical. He wasn't sitting around one day going, oh gosh, I feel like God wants me to write a psalm. What should it be? Oh, oh, I know what I'll write about. I'll write about how things can be tough and how God is good. Oh man, that's not what happens. David writes from the knife edge of life and Psalm 13 gives us six characteristics of what I'm calling a healthy lament. So here's number one, healthy lament is honest. It's honest. David is raw and he is brutally honest with himself, with his God, with others about his pride. I mean, his pain, his feelings, his questions. Um, it might interest you to know that the question in Psalm, in, in 13 verses 1 to 2, how long, O oh Lord, that occurs four times in just Psalm 13, approximately 20 times in the Psalms in general, almost always in connection with a lament. Um, couple of things to think about here. I think we're going to have Psalm 13, 1 and 2 up on the board. But when David mentions the enemy, scholars have a bit of disagreement about what that might be. Some think it's illness or death. Some think that it's just a kind of a general presence of evil in this world. Many, many people think, and I tend to agree, that it's human enemies who have almost overcome David. And then you have Psalm 13, three, look on me and answer my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And sleep in death for David um, is most likely a literal death. He thinks he might die because of whatever is going on. But for you, man, for me, Maybe it's not, maybe it's not a literal death. Maybe it's just fear. Maybe it's depression or despair or, or some other kind of suffering, whatever. But these words that, 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 that just kind of erupt from David's soul, they emphasize both the duration as well as the intensity of David's trial. And my point is that in the Psalms, I, I can't find any room for stoicism. You know what that is. Stoicism is that philosophy that says, you know, hey, whatever is going on, just suck it up stiff upper lip and for sure don't you dare talk about your feelings don't talk about your pain people are gonna think you're 
You're weak. Just don't do it. There's nothing like that in the Bible, but there are plenty of places in the Bible, including again, this whole book that is devoted to lament the biblical authors. They never shy away from expressing real feelings and asking God very tough, very honest questions. God, God approves of our honesty. Look, he knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows exactly what's going on in your mind. He knows your situation better than you do. So why not, why not just be honest with him? Why not just be honest with yourself if you have, and, and, and it occurs to me, he's not gonna be like stumped by a tough question. Right? He knows the answers. And so go ahead and ask if you need to. Go ahead and cry if you need to. Healthy lament questions God in an honest way. That's number one. Now here's number two. Healthy lament questions God without accusing God. Now, there's often a fine line between those two, and I get that. But healthy lament questions God without accusing God. Big difference um, between those two in verses one through two. David is essentially asking, where are you, God? Do you still care, and when will you rescue me? And I want you to notice that this is not a lapse of faith in God, but rather the very natural sense of um, disorientation that we all feel when things don't go as, as we were hoping they would or as we had planned. It's natural to feel that, those kinds of things. But there's a huge difference, huge difference between us saying, God, this situation is killing me. Where are you? And you know, there is no God. Or you know what? If God is there, he must not care. Maybe he's just a wimp. Big difference between those kinds of things. Healthy lament questions God without accusing God. Um, a, a number of years ago, this was a long time ago, my wife and I um, were meeting with a couple that had just experienced their third miscarriage. And that's agonizing. And at one point in the conversation, my wife was with the lady um, talking in our family room and her husband and I were talking in another room and, and he was pouring out his heart to me. And, and I was just listening. And by the way, man, most often when people are suffering, they just need you to listen, right? They don't need you to fix it. They don't, they, for sure they don't need advice uh, unless God gives you something very specific that he wants you to say to him. But they just, man, they just need your ears and they need your heart. And I was listening to this guy and, and, and he was pouring out his pain. And for a while, um, it felt needed and it felt good. 
But then I'm gonna tell you something, something happened somewhere in there. It was almost like a switch had been flipped and, and all of a sudden what was coming out of his mouth wasn't so healthy anymore. It was kind of dark. And, and it, it even felt to me like the room got dark a little bit. It was almost like, and, and I didn't have the maturity to know what was going on, but it, I was, I'm kind of looking around, I almost felt like somebody had taken the dimmer switch and, and turned it down a little bit. And we finished well in that conversation. We finished well, and at some point I, I, I had asked him to think about, um, is, is Jesus enough? Or does it have to be Jesus and you fill in the blank? And, and his response was, tearful response, but his response is no, Jesus is enough. But again, I didn't have the maturity to know what was going on. And what I recognized later on is that, is that the things he was saying had moved from questioning. It had moved from pain into a, into a pretty hard, pre-angry accusations against God. It's healthy to question God, but not to accuse him. And that leads me to a, a third characteristic of healthy lament, which is that healthy lament is, is grounded, or you might say that it's anchored in faith in God. Um, at the risk of pointing out the, the obvious, I want, you to, I want you to just take note of the fact that as David is speaking, he addresses his questions to a God that he believes in. David's lament has its assurance, uh, foundation in the assurance of a, a, a real and a powerful God who hears prayers and loves and cares and has the ability to do something um, about what's going on. There's a, an Old Testament scholar by the name of Derek Kidner, and Derek Kidner says, David is desolate. Uh, and he is, you can hear it in his voice. You can see it in his words, David is desolate. But his desolation leads him to God, not away from God. Now, <clears throat> when I ask you to keep an open heart and an open mind about what I'm going to say next, and I'm going to ask you, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you for a minute to put on your logic cap, if you will. Um, and I want to say that David can fairly express real anguish only because David has a real faith in a heavenly father from whom that he expected something different. You see, from the days of his youth, God had been both a father and an intimate friend to David. Now he feels this sense of abandonment and that causes real pain and, and it causes questioning. And so think, think about this with me. Those who have no faith in God they really have no basis to expect anything better than this. 
Um, I want to say that from a, a purely logical standpoint, if, if there is no God, it's just the law of the jungle. If there is no God, really, the rich get rich and the poor get poor. If there is no God, life is short and nasty and then you die, as someone has said. And that's because if there is no God, there is no one who is good enough, there is no one who is powerful enough to intervene. And, and in that case, we are essentially on our own. Also, logically, if there is no God, there are no ultimate standards of right and wrong, and there are no ultimate standards of behavior. If there is no God, you can agonize whatever you are agonizing about. And that's just the way it is. If there is no God. For example, take the man that I mentioned earlier whose father was murdered. He could lament the death of his father precisely because he believes in a good and a powerful God who says murder is wrong. But for those who have no faith, man, they better just chalk it up to fate or to chance. That's what it is if there is no God. In my opinion, only believers... Only believers have a real basis for lament. So again, healthy lament is anchored in our faith in God who is good and powerful. That's number three. Here's the fourth characteristic of healthy lament. Healthy lament expresses both personal pain and a concern for God's reputation. Wanted to go back for a moment to the end of verse 2. The end of verse 2, where David says, How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God, give light to my eyes, or here's what's going to happen I'm going to die. By the way, that expression, give light to my eyes, that was a Hebrew idiom for saying, bring me relief. Look, if somebody actually experiences relief in a crisis, deliverance from suffering, man, there's a certain twinkle in their eye. And that's what David is, uh, is talking about when he says that. David is saying, God, this situation is so critical. If you don't bring me relief, God, I might die. And if that happens, God, if I'm overwhelmed, then God, you know what's going to happen next. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And if you think about it, there's the implication here that not only will David's enemies gloat over his death, but also they will gloat over the failure of David's God to come through for him. For David, you see, what's at stake is not, not just his well-being, but more importantly, God's reputation. Healthy lament expresses pain, but also a concern for God's glory and God's reputation. Now, please understand that a part of the background 
for this psalm is 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you're taking notes, I hope some of you are in something we call the Davidic covenant. What's a covenant? What is the Davidic covenant? Christians need to understand it because it's foundational to all of the rest of the Bible. So a covenant in the Bible is a binding contract. And the Davidic covenant is where God makes a promise to David that he is going to protect him, that he is never going to pull his love away from David like he did Saul, um, and that he is going to establish David's dynasty forever. The covenant also includes the idea that a descendant of David would shepherd the people of God forever. Again, that's 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, ultimately, that covenant, that promise, that um, contract, if you will, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But even during David's life and his reign, that covenant was very public. And after David becomes king, there were many people who knew about these promises to David. And, and don't you think there were skeptics all around him? Don't you think there were people that would like nothing better than for David to die and for them to be able to um, deride David's God? Man, I'm convinced that one of the things that David has in mind when he pins Psalm 13 verses three to four is God, this is bigger than me. If I go down, God, your reputation goes down with me. In my opinion, what is most important to David was a passion for God's glory and God's reputation. And look, we see that all throughout the life of David. Remember David and Goliath? Goliath shows up, David shows up after that. And as David walks out on the battlefield, here's this giant breathing obscenities and insults against the people of Israel and their God. And David cries out, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he dares to defy the armies of the living God? David is passionate about God's reputation. And, and I just need to ask myself, and I need to ask you when, when you pray, when I pray, is my prayer just about me? Or am I also concerned for God's reputation? You see, um, I, I just fear that in our culture that kind of worships the religion of individualism, and in this culture that is so me-centered and consumer-oriented that all of that has moved like a, like a cancer into our lives and into our faith and into the life of the church. And because of that, our hearts and our prayers are more often about us than they are about God's glory. And look, if I, if I don't get that, if I fail to understand that, if I don't understand that most important is God's glory, then I'm going to end up praying like God exists to serve me. 
And that's not how it is. It's, it's the other way around. We exist to serve God. Let me put it to you a little bit differently. I am, I'm, I'm asking us to remember that in, in the Lord's Prayer, you remember the Lord's Prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be thy name, set apart, totally unique, unlike any other being in the universe. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That comes before, give me this day my daily bread. And it's that way on purpose. Let me repeat it, healthy lament expresses pain. But I think even more importantly, it expresses a concern for God's glory and God's reputation. Um, Here's the next characteristic. Healthy lament, and I've already touched on this, healthy lament acknowledges pain to other people. Um, In other words, lament doesn't, it doesn't hide itself. I'm convinced that David works through his pain at least in part by sharing his pain. Now, um, for some of us, that's the hardest part uh, of lament because we're not comfortable sharing our pain. We don't, we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to be accused of being wimp or a, a wimp or, or, or some kind of weakness or, or healthy lament wasn't modeled in our home or it wasn't modeled in our church. You know, one of the things that I thought about during the break is mosaic. (laughs) You have some things that you need to lament. And that's okay, God wants you to do that. And so often, so often, look, and I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm not preaching at your leadership. I'm just saying uh, maybe I'm even coming into a new understanding of these kinds of things, but we need to give each other the opportunity to do that. Or maybe you grew up in an alcoholic home or an abusive situation where no one talks about anything. Ah, it is heartbreaking to see how widespread that is uh, on our little reservation in northeastern Montana. But, but many of you have experienced the same kinds of things. And in those situations, nobody talks about anything. They hide or they even try to ignore the truth because, um, again, I get it. People are, people are just trying to survive in those kinds of situations. But I, I also think that it's fair to say that in our Western culture, we generally speaking, we don't do a good job of lamenting. That's one of those areas where I'm convinced that our culture and the Bible kind of grind against each other. So let me repeat what I said earlier. It is emotionally and spiritually healthy to lament. And the Hebrews were experts at it. David works through his pain by crafting poetry that articulates his questions and describes his despair. Now, where do I get this idea of going public with our pain? I want you to look at your Bibles. 
I want you to look at your Bibles and I want you to notice that right under where it says Psalm 13, it says for the director of music, or it might say for the choir master in your version, a Psalm of David. So why is that note there? Well, it's there because Psalm 13 was meant to be sung in public. It was meant to be sung in public. By the way, <clears throat> we don't have the music, but, uh, but I want to tell you something. Someone has put Psalm 13 to music. You can look at it, uh, you can look at it on YouTube. It's called How Long, O Lord, How Long. It's beautiful. Listen to it uh, if you get the chance. Again, my point is it was meant to be sung in public. And, and that note, it, it may not have been put there by David, but I believe that this psalm, that David wanted this psalm to be identified with him and it was meant to be sung in public temple worship. Lament was very public and an important part of Old Testament worship. Now, man, doesn't that suggest to you that lament is biblical? And doesn't that suggest to you that perhaps God designed you and me in such a way that we need to find healthy ways to vent and share our pain and our loss? I think that the necessity of lament is hardwired into our souls and in our hearts. Now we have to be smart about the kinds of contexts that we lament in and we have to be smart about who we share our pain with because quite frankly, not everybody has the maturity to handle our pain, but we need to find people and places that we can lament with. It is emotionally and spiritually critical for you and for me to go public with our pain. In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, there's a guy by the name of Peter Scazzaro. Great book, by the way. And he talks about a woman whose child had died, died of leukemia. Here's how she publicly lamented. She crafted a beautiful quilt to represent the different parts of the life of her little girl. Um, there was a square for her first birthday. There was a square that represented that time when she was teething. There was a, a square for a special toy that she had. There was a square for a puppy that she loved. There were many others, but the point was that crafting this quilt and showing it to others and talking about her daughter was for, for her a way to acknowledge and to share her pain. And it was, I'm told, a very healing experience. David works through his pain, at least in part, by sharing his pain with other people. <clears throat> and then here's number six for you. Healthy lament worships God. It worships God. See, without any way denying our pain, we are also to cling so tightly to God, even declare our faith in God. And look, I, I get it. 
I get it, the grieving process for many people, um, for everybody is a little bit different. And, and by the way, there are no set time limits to get over it, right? Don't let anybody tell you that because there just aren't any time limits to get over it. But, but having said that, there is um, the possibility of indulging our pain for so long and so exclusively that it begins to overtake us almost like a, a tidal wave would overtake us and, and we, can even, we can even drown from that. And I think that David understands that. Um, and so even though his lament is expressed in very strong, very public kinds of language, it's complemented by an expression of trust and praise. And that's what I mean that when I say that healthy lament worships God, even in the midst of pain. Please don't forget that the believer is still a believer. And even David even as David embraces his pain, he also reaches out to embrace God. Um, verse five. Actually, let me, just, let me just read to you verses five and six. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord praise for he has been good to me. David moves from lament to a confession of trust. I want you to notice the words, but I. And, and from a grammatic point of view, the I is emphatic. But I, for my part, this is what I'm going to choose to do. Even in the midst of this thing, he's saying that in spite of uh, this terrible reality that I've just lamented, this thing that might even kill me for my part, this is what I choose. And mark it well, David has not yet seen relief in this situation. He's still in the middle of it, but even though he is still confused and feeling abandoned, threatened by the prospect of death, even though he still wrestles with the pain, by faith, he trusts in the unfailing love of God. The word here for unfailing is the Hebrew word hesed which is one of the richest words in the Bible to describe this part of, of God's character. It means loyal love. It's like the agape love that you might've heard about in the New Testament. Hesed is unconditional. Hesed knows everything there is to know about you. It knows all the details of your situation. And even if they're negative, it loves you anyways. Hesed is full of passion and it's relentless. Hesed stops at nothing to express itself. And, and, and unlike the, the anemic, wimpy love that is so very prevalent in our culture, uh, Hesed is eternal. It has staying power. And so as bad as things look, um, listen, 
as bad as your situation might be, you and I, we get to choose how we will respond to God. The question is, are you and I willing to confess our trust in God and his loyal love even in the midst of a difficult, unresolved situation? And then finally, David moves from this powerful expression of trust to an expression of praise. Again, verses five and six, my heart rejoices in your salvation. He says, I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. And I, I, I look at his situation in verses one to four and then I look at what he says in verses five and six and, and I just go, wow, wow, how does David do that kind of thing? He's in the middle of circumstances he says could take his life. And so don't you think that it's significant that this psalm doesn't end with a prayer for de deliverance? Rather, it concludes with an expression of praise. In other words, the praise comes before the deliverance happens. Even in the midst of a life-threatening situation, David makes a choice to sing praises and declare the goodness of God. Verse six, for he has been good to me. And he's been good to you as well. And again, the question is, are you and I willing to follow David's example? Are you and I willing to right in the middle of our pain, confess our trust and our praise in God? Um, Diane and I grew up in our faith in a church in Phoenix. Um, and we're very good friends with a, with a young couple at the time. <laughs> now they're quite a bit older. Mark and Sandy, by the way, they gave me permission uh, to share this story. Um, and back in the day, Mark and Sandy's young son, Jeremy, died of cancer. And I'm just gonna tell you, when he was diagnosed with cancer, our church pleaded with God to spare his life. And I would tell you, I have, I have never been a part of a corporate church prayer effort before that or even after that, as intense as that we prayed our faces off for Jeremy. And then he died. Now, in our church in Phoenix, we used, to, we used to sing a song that interestingly enough comes out of Lamentations chapter three, 22 to 23. And by the way, think about the fact that those verses are, are, are smack dab in the middle of a book of, la of lament. They're right in the middle of that. I don't think that's an accident. We used to sing this song. Its words were based on lamentations. It went like this. The, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. And don't you know 
that when you have just lost a son, it's hard to stand with the people of God and sing those kinds of words. But Mark and Sandy were there and they were singing. And I'll never forget this day when I was sitting with Sandy and we were talking uh, about Jeremy. And she said to me, she said, Mike, she said, it's no longer easy for me to praise God. She said, we now have a deeper understanding of what the author of Hebrews meant when he talked about a sacrifice of praise. She said to me, it is, it's costly to praise God. But man, she looked right at me. She looked like she was looking through me. And she said, but I will continue to praise God. She said it just like that. I'll never forget that. David would say amen to that. That's the, that's the spirit of Psalm 13. That's the spirit of David. Um, let me close with this. There's a guy by the name of Nicholas Volterstorff. He is kind of a Yale smarty pants, um, 91 years old now. He also lost his 25-year-old son in a climbing accident. And I think that it is so significant that this brilliant, wise theologian, not right on everything, but right on a lot of things, I think it's so significant that he offers no explanation for why God would allow that kind of tragedy because we all know there's a, a huge amount of mystery to these things. And I doubt that anyone can adequately explain them, especially to the one who has suffered the loss. But he does offer this provocative thought. I think we're gonna go ahead and put it up on the screen. He says, through the prism of my tears, I have seen a suffering God. You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the, this idea that God suffers along with them? He says, through the prism of my tears, I've seen a suffering God. It is said of God that no one can behold his face and live. I always thought this meant that no one can see his splendor and live. And, and maybe it does, but then he goes on to say, or perhaps no one can see his sorrow and live. Or perhaps... Perhaps his sorrow is his splendor. Ah. That's a man who's embracing his grief and at the same time leaning in to embrace God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you are a God who gets us, that you are a God who understands our sorrow and at times, Lord, you, you share our sorrow. Thank you that you are a God who wants to hear our lament. Thank you that you are a God who loves us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.